We have been talking about the life of Jesus and the Gospel of John. And so, as I mentioned, the Gospel of John is such an amazing book and, and so thick that we could really go through this book in, in a year. Um, but we're doing a short series to really give an overview of the Gospel of John and looking at the life of Jesus and, and specifically his life, ministry, death, and resurrection and ascension. And so last week we looked at, at his life and we're continuing that a little bit a little bit more today while also looking at his ministry and the, the overlap of the two and, and how that impacts us today. So let's dive in. So Jesus gave him this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. So this is a, is a powerful statement by Jesus right here to say that the Son, a part of the Trinity, only does what God is doing. doesn't operate outside of him. And to give a little bit more context as to why, what Jesus was saying and how he was explaining it, um, you know, the last few months, I've, I've noticed for some reason, as I don't know if I've noticed it more, it's been happening more, I've just seen a lot, there's been just kind of some turnover at some restaurants that I, that kinda, I go to regularly because there's only like two I can eat at. And so I end up going to the same ones because of my, uh, my dietary restrictions. And so I've noticed uh, quite a few times um, waiters and waitresses in training. And so, you know, you have one following the other and, you know, they take your order and they say, oh, this is what I'm doing here. And, and just really this show and tell, right? And it's just like, it's almost this, this apprenticeship. And, you know, that's kind of how a lot of training is done. That's how I've experienced a lot of, a lot of training. I remember when I was interning at a studio, um, my, my, my mentor and boss was like, okay, sit here and let me explain to you what's happening. Okay, now we're going to do it together. All right, now you're going to do it, and I'm going to show you how to, how to do it well. It's just like this is, I mean, it's basic apprenticing, just, you know, you know, when I think about that, I think like, like a blacksmith, you know, or like any of these like old kind of trades and crafts that we just teach one another. And so this idea, this apprenticing, is something that was very common uh, during this time. And so as Jesus is talking right now, he's also saying, I've, I've apprenticed myself to the Father. I'm doing life the way he has shown me to do life. He looks at what his Father is doing and does only that. And so we need to be able to recognize what God is doing in and around us. There are times when God is clearly orchestrating things in our, in our periphery. You know, a chance meeting and, and out-of-the-blue opportunity. Often we find ourselves doing things for God, and they're usually good things, but it's actually not what he's doing in that moment. We need to be aware enough to see what God is doing and, and do only that. Sometimes we're in that flow, and other times we need to take a step back and just observe because busyness can get us lost in the weeds. Sometimes what God is doing is risky. It's going to take courage and faith for us to follow that. Many times it won't be comfortable or trouble-free, but when we do these things, when we are seeing what God is doing, and doing that, it, be, it just brings so much life to our everyday. And it's actually him just showing us how to do life. I think we try so hard to like figure that out, and often if we can just take a step back long enough to just see what he's doing around us, 
we're actually going to learn how to live that out. So I want to look at one more thing as we transition from his life and into his ministry. Uh, John 11:33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. So in this place, the her here is, is, um, is Mary Magdalene, Jesus' dear friend, whose brother just died. And so he had just arrived to their home to find her weeping because of, of the death in the family. And, and Jesus sees her crying, and he's just, he's moved. That word deeply moved, the, the original Greek there, it's like these groans. Something inside of him is just, is, is crying out. His very guts are moved by the despair of his friend. Jesus was defined by compassion. Over and over again, we see accounts of Jesus responding to something and doing ministry because he had compassion for them. We cannot be or become devoid of compassion. If we are, then we're missing a key ingredient to live like Jesus did. And often we don't, some, some of us have, have, it can be hard to experience compassion for others because you haven't experienced compassion. Sometimes there's so much around you that it's much easier to put up walls than to allow yourself to feel, to allow yourself to be deeply moved, to allow yourself to just be vulnerable there. But if we cannot have compassion in our lives, we cannot live like Jesus and do the things he did. If we're doing ministry without that, we're stepping wrong. Because then it becomes works and it becomes religion and it can often become harsh. If we're trying to disciple someone to be like Jesus without that compassion, then we become the Pharisees that Jesus was talking about. And it can be hard. But to actually be able to let down our walls is, is, is one of the most important things. And this is something that I have to continually push into. See, some people don't, it's hard to, to experience compassion because you haven't, you've only experienced just harshness. And I get that. And, and, and that's been just kind of your entire, entire life. And, and so that's how you respond. But God has something very, very different for you. And, and, and we want to, and, and he's inviting you to, to experience his compassion as we see here. There's others, and this is where I land, where you see so much pain and horror around you that you just want, it's, it's, you just want to lock up. You just, you just want to shut down. And whether it's here or, or the times I've spent 
you know, in, 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 in Haiti, where I've just seen just some of the most difficult things to look at. And, as, and, and, and I have friends who, like, it's, it's the same thing wherever they go all over the way. And like, it's easy to say, you know, I'm just not going to feel right now. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to allow myself to go there. I'm just going to become hard. That's, that's the easy way. That's the easy way. It's hard to, 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 to let that down and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel right now for this person, for this group, whatever it is, no matter, no matter what. Let's look at John 10. I'm the good shepherd. This is Jesus talking. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and they shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So in this passage, Jesus here is actually talking to the religious leaders and showing them what God's leadership looks like. He's basically equating them to the hired hand that, that runs away, that won't actually sacrifice, that doesn't actually care for the sheep. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The motivation here being is that the shepherd loves the sheep. Which is why he's laying his life down. In this illustration, Jesus is describing his life and his purpose. He describes the character of one who is loved by God and loves God. By way of Jesus' great compassion, we see his ministry. Uh, specifically in the Gospel of John, the ministry of Jesus was centered around healing, evangelism, and teaching. And so we see Jesus healing all throughout the Gospels. And it's not just physical healing, but all types of healing. Um, uh, emotional, social, psychological, and of course physical. Um, but in John, we actually have only a few accounts of, uh, and kind of some longer stories of healing and they're, they're actually really key. And so we're going to go through a couple of them and, and kind of just unpack it just a little bit just to see kind of part, part of the core of his ministry. So at this point of the story, Jesus and, and the 12 had, had just left um, uh, Samaria and were uh, on their way after doing some ministry there to, back to Galilee. And they were approached by this Roman um, officer, so someone with a lot of status, with a, with a lot of pull, who, but who had heard about Jesus and was really desperate at this point because his son was dying. John 4, 47.
When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time in which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. So sometime after this, Jesus is um, heading to uh, Bethesda, and there's this pool there that's supposed to have kind of these healing properties. And so there's a lot of blind, lame, paralyzed people around here just trying to get better. And so this is where we enter the story. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. Jesus' ministry of healing poured out of his compassion for people. At times he wanted faith from his people. At times he desired righteousness. That is what's happening in these last two scenes, in these last two accounts. He, he wants faith. And later on in this story, we see that he's, he's, he's looking for righteousness. But what's funny is that in both of these accounts, neither faith nor righteousness was a condition of the healing. The healing came first. In some places of Scripture, Jesus declares that faith is necessary to see the kingdom of God break through, to see things like this healing. Later in this same gospel, he talks of the ailments we suffer having nothing to do with our sin or our righteousness. Listen, faith is important, righteousness is important, but the reason I bring this up is because too often we make formulas for God's kindness. We make hard and fast rules and blame people for what's wrong with them. Yes, we play a part. I'm not downplaying the importance of faith or walking with integrity. But what I want us to do is break out of the trap of putting God in a box. Healing is available and present, and we get to experience it. And sometimes we don't. Often it's the healing we receive in the midst of deep pain that drives our own pursuit of righteousness because of our desire to, not because our duty, but because we love God, we want to walk with integrity. Often it's life's hardships that drives our faith. It's what we hold on to that pushes us through and makes our faith stronger, even when we don't get the result we're looking for. I remember this particular time in my life a few years ago. I was in a season where I was praying for a lot of people, doing ministry, and they were all getting healed. It was awesome. And it had nothing to do with me. Like, it was just, 
the, the, that the particular gift was operating through me at that time, and a lot, of people were, a lot of people were getting healed. The frustrating thing was that I wasn't getting healed. <laughs> you see, uh, playing ball, I had separated both my shoulders about, uh, I guess, ooh, 14 years ago now. And so, and because they're, they're, they're separated, they, you know, there's just times when it's just insanely painful. And so the same faith I was using to pray for these people, I mean, I'm talking about people who had cancer that like went away after, after our time of prayer. So like the prayer is working, right? So I'm like trying to figure out, okay, so now's the time. All right, so we're kind of in a groove right now. We got, we, got the, we got the spirit with us. We're like really gone. Let me pray for myself. Nothing. It was really frustrating. And yet, God was still moving in all the lives of these people around me. So we're going to come to more of that later. So if these, if these two healings weren't enough, and, 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 and the more he did, that we also saw some pretty unnatural things happening that occurred during Jesus' ministry that, that are important to look at. Um, let's, let's jump to earlier in the story. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So the Gospel of John records seven signs that reveal Jesus' glory. You ever wonder what that means? Like, what do they mean by revealing Jesus' glory? And like, it's, 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 it's important to like really think about because I think we hear that word so much, we don't actually like really think about what, 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 what do they mean by that, reveal his glory? Like, reveal how good he is, reveal his power? Like, what does that mean? What that means is that when we say that when we're seeing the scripture reveal God's glory, they're talking about the kingdom of God breaking in to earth. We're talking about God's rule and reign, his power and love and might coming down to earth and transforming it. And everywhere Jesus went, that's what happened. We saw the kingdom just at work, and nothing could stop it. Like things that just shouldn't have happened, happened. In this particular case, this was right after he was at a wedding, and he just turned about 30 gallons of water into wine. And it, 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 it kind of seems insignificant, like, why, why would Jesus make that? Why would this be the first sign, like, of all things, right? Like, this just doesn't seem that important. Out of all the things he could be doing, this doesn't seem that important. I mean, they're at a wedding. See, but that sign was significant. So, yeah, it was his first miracle, but that sign was, was an indication that everyone who was with him would understand it was, a, it was a fulfillment of a promise. You see, for hundreds of years, the prophets that we see in the Old Testament had this promise that God was going to come and not just save the world, but to restore humanity. And all through the prophets, we see, and you will, you will have new wine, dripping 
from the mountains. You will be overflowing with wine. That will be the sign that I have come. And so when Jesus turned the water into wine, it was like, here I am. One of the first, you know, earlier, a few months ago, we were talking about kind of understanding the kingdom of God and talking about Exodus. And you remember that one of the big signs was the water turning into blood as God was coming to save his people. And so this is an important sign. This is an important thing that happens to really understand God's glory and God's kingdom and what happens when he comes and breaks in. I want to look at another one. Jesus and the twelve were with a large crowd. They just finished doing ministry and teaching and healing. And there's about, there, there are at least 10,000 people there. And he wanted to provide food for them. Um, and so let's, let's pick up the story there. John 6, 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he, at, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among this many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they, had all, when they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who was to come into the world. This is just a, just a fascinating miracle, and I know many of us have, have heard this. It's, it's just a good reminder of seeing what happens when the kingdom comes. So there are more signs in other instances where people realize that Jesus was the promised Messiah. If you go through the book of John, you're going to see this over and over again. Surely, this must mean that this is the Messiah. Surely, this is what God was talking about when he said, he was going to come and save us. All these signs we see point to the fact that Jesus was bringing the kingdom. So these are, they're recorded for us to believe in and trust in. They're, they're here to help us understand that the kingdom of God, which transforms everything, is here on earth. More to that, it, it, it shows that we get to be a part of all of it. Jesus' ministry is not restricted to him. His disciples were with him in all of it. He was training them and, de and deployed them to do the same. The ministry of Jesus is there for us to see that he is, in fact, the promised Messiah, but it's also there as a model for our ministry. It's not limited to what we saw today. It's, it's, it's expansive. Our ministry is to walk with others as Jesus did, to, to discover the freedom, life, and hope that's available in him. This can be done in so many ways, and no one is disqualified. Everyone gets to be a part. 
everyone, no matter what people are shouting in the background. And that's going to happen a lot. Often it's just our own thoughts shouting in the background. Often it's others. So in that first healing account, I left kind of that one thing at the end, and this occurred on the day of the Sabbath. You remember reading that? That's important. Because after Jesus healed an invalid, an invalid, someone who's been laying for 38 years, people got mad. Like, who gets mad at that? Right? Like, seriously, who gets mad at that? Yep. And they were mad because he broke a law by working on the Sabbath, and Jesus continued to say, I didn't actually break the law. And what's more important is that you care more about this law than you do about people. And we still face that today. And when we're doing what God's doing and we're participating in the ministry of Jesus, and we don't do it a certain way, people are going to be upset that we haven't done it a certain way. So instead of fighting that, just know that that's what it is and don't let it stop us. See, too often we're told or believe that we're not good enough to do ministry. I think for many, there's like this threshold of like, okay, once I get to this place in my, in my righteousness, once I'm this good of a person, then I can serve, then I can minister. But what I've found over the years is that as, as, as I walk with people in that and, and as I've experienced that myself, the more we get there, the further that line goes away, right? The, 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 the more we walk in that, the more that it's just, it's just unreachable because we have this thought that I, I, I have to be good enough to do ministry. If, if that was the case, Jesus picked the wrong 12 people to walk with them. Let me tell you. They have some issues. Now, does that negate our righteousness? Does that negate us growing, becoming more like Jesus? Does that mean we can just do whatever we want? No. But I'm not really concerned about that right now. Because I think for many of us, it's been the reverse. We've been told that we have to be more and be better before we can do ministry but it's God who enables us to do it. And so if, if, if it's God who enables us, then, then what can anyone say that says we're not supposed to? And so what if we are growing and becoming more like Christ and as we are doing ministry, we continue to become more and grow like Christ? What if it was this thing that just evolved? What if I grew, I did some ministry? Oh, and then I grew some more, and then did some more ministry. What if it wasn't like school? Okay, I need to do this for 8, 12, 16 years, and then I can be released into my job. What if it wasn't like that? What if we were constantly and always growing, and in the middle of that, constantly and always doing ministry? Y'all hear what I'm saying? Okay. Doing ministry like Jesus did requires only a willingness. 
Everything else will go from there. Jesus called his disciples and they came. He taught them and they ministered. And taught them some more and they ministered some more. They weren't especially qualified. They didn't have a perfect track record. They were willing and available and humble. So we should be willing and available and humble. I think one of the things that, for me, this may not be any of you, your story may be different, but for me, one of the things that stopped me from doing more in ministry is because I just didn't want to, I don't want to mess up. I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to hurt someone. I didn't want to do something detrimental. And so I get that. When I was hired on as an associate here, I didn't give an answer for three weeks when I got, when I got the offer. Because I was like, well, if I do this, I, I need to make sure God is calling me to this. And I need to make sure I do everything right to make sure that I don't fail, that I don't mess up, that I don't hurt someone. And I can prepare all day long. I can study, and I have studied. I can work, and I have worked. I can train, and I have trained. And I still mess up. And yet God still wants me. And he still wants you. And there is nothing that can stop that. So, when I was talking about the frustration of my shoulders not, not getting better, right? We can see all these healings. Two people have cancer going to remission. Like, just amazing, miracle-level healings. And I'm standing here with my busted shoulders <laughs> crying because I'm like, I can't get the same healing. This ain't right. <laughs> What about me? Man. So the thing about the kingdom. So we saw these signs, right? These, these signs that Jesus brought that shows, hey, the kingdom is here. Things are about to change. And they did change. And they have changed. But he also said, I'm coming back. He said the kingdom has come, but it's also delayed. And it's also yet to come. So what does that mean? That means that we get to experience the vastness of the ministry of Jesus, but we don't get to experience it all the time. When he's back, yeah, that's the time of no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow. And so we're in this in-between time where ministry happens and there's fruits and times when it just falls flat and we struggle, when the pain persists, when the cancer ends up in death, when the house burns down. And so do we put up that guard again and say, no, I'm not going to allow myself to feel again. I'm not dealing with this again. I tried 
faith. No, that means we keep going because we know that his kingdom will break in again and will continue to break in and we'll continue to see things transform and we'll continue to see forgiveness and healing and restoration. And we just keep going because we know it's possible, we know it's available and we get to be a part of it. And we don't let the discouragement of when it doesn't happen stop us from continuing. All right, practical tips. Create margins in your day and evening to recognize God in you and throughout you. Begin to discern what he's doing and and follow that. And it might be one thing. It could be just one area where I'm like, is God in this right here? Let, Let me do that. Or if he's not, and if it's something that was a good thing, But maybe, hey, maybe I shouldn't be doing this right now. Number two, identify the areas that stop you from jumping into ministry. Seek God in that and ask someone from the community to help you move into it. And so just like Jesus did, we have training and teaching and discipleship and we, we believe in the gifts, and so it's not like it's a free-for-all. <laughs> but there is a place for each and every one of you to be a minister, because that's what everyone here is. And we're going to help you get there. Number three, Jesus continually restored people, and we practice the same here. Discover the different opportunities available to be restored and to walk with others in their restoration. You know, we have, you know, we have our, 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 our altar prayer ministry after church, but that's one of, of quite a few things we have going, of the type of ministry where, where we need healing and restoration. We have TPM. We have prophetic ministry. We have all these different things to help you experience the, the, the transforming power of the kingdom bring it in. Who's got to go after it? All right, number four. Seek God's compassion for yourself. The areas you struggle with most, ask God to speak into and experience his love and presence. After that, Think of those you don't have compassion for and the areas where you struggle most with compassion. I left that out, but just think about that. (laughs) Think about those areas. And out of what you have received from God, out of that compassion you have received, display true compassion towards them. 